Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. In this episode, we will hear Answering the Questions You Might Have About the Carbat by Adam Troy Castro, performed by Stefan Rutnicki. This work is copyright 2021. Adam Troy Castro made his first non-fiction sale to Spy Magazine in 1987. His 26 books to date include four Spider-Man novels, three novels about his profoundly damaged far-future murder investigator, Andrea Court, and six middle-grade novels about the dimension-spanning adventures of young Gustav Gloom. Adam's works have won the Philip K. Dick Award and the Seiyun from Japan, and have been nominated for eight Nebulas, three Stokers, two Hugos, two World Fantasy Awards, and many international awards. His latest release was the audio collection My Wife Hates Time Travel and Other Stories, from Skyboat Media, of course. Adam lives in Florida with his wife Judy and a trio of chaotic paladin cats. So, stay safe and buckle up. We're going to light speed. Answering the Questions You Might Have About the Carbat by Adam Troy Castro you have just been attacked by a carbat. It has sprung on you from hiding in some place where you foolishly imagined yourself safe. And even as its many glittering fangs sink deep into the flesh and bone of your shoulder, you know that any attempt to save yourself is futile, that you were always fated to perish in this way, and this beast was always fated to usher you screaming into the world of the dead. What is a carbat? I don't know. Why am I asking you? I am the world's leading expert. How can you be an expert and still know nothing? I didn't say that experts on this monstrous species were exactly thick on the ground. I know a few small things, the answers to basic questions, the sort of thing you might be wondering about as you struggle in vain to defend yourself. Like what? Well, to start with, the carbat is not a species, not in the plural sense. It is a unique creature, alone in all the universe. And it's just your bad luck that you happened to run into the one here in this dark place, so far from any centers of civilization, and certainly from anyone who can hear your anguished screaming. But that's the kind of environment it likes when it exists. When it exists? Well, you see, you just stumbled upon the defense mechanism and most dangerous weapon of the carbat. 
It is a creature of probability that can hide better than any living thing ever has, because up until the very moment when you felt its claws rip into your upper arm, it didn't exist. There was no Carbat anywhere in this universe or any other, and there never has been a Carbat in this universe or any other. No Carbat has ever been catalogued. No catalog has ever been imagined. It was, in fact, impossible to conceive even in a nightmare. The instant anybody came close to positing anything like it, it moved farther away by becoming even stranger and therefore outside all known reference, as well as any known hypotheticals that could be accessed by those reference. It was a non-thing until you were in the right position to be attacked by it, and even then it wasn't real until it drew blood. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah, but look, that's precisely what makes the Carbat so dangerous. Humanity has already been aware that it might encounter monsters unprecedented in its experience, and has therefore always devoted part of its intellectual energy to concocting such creatures out of smoke and shadows as hypotheticals to test its response. Of course, the more limited the conceptual building blocks, the more likely it always was that the hypotheticals would be composed of bits and pieces already encountered, like the woman, ingredient number one, with the head of snakes, ingredient number two, whose gaze could turn you into stone, ingredient number three. None of these things represented an impossible leap for someone who lived in ancient Greece, and even today many of the hypotheticals being groped for by the imaginations of mankind aren't gigantic leaps either. The giant gorilla and the giant lizard in particular, are just extrapolations from observable reality, only bigger. The uh, giant octopus-headed man is only that, plus a little genetic tinkering. So? So. Anybody who conceives such a hypothetical is performing a function important to the survival of your species when that inevitably leads to speculation about how such a creature can be stopped. Create a vampire? Well, it's an unlikely beast, but you can always try a stake through its heart. Create a hulking artificial man constructed of the corpses of the dead? Well, for God's sake, don't antagonize it. Create a zombie? Shit, what can't you do? Bare minimum, you can chop off its head, but after that, there's any number of more creative ways to dispatch their sort. And for over 50 years now, the human race has been excessively invested in positing them. It's the same function that our most distant ancestors were serving when they sat around their campfires and wondered just what they would do if they ever ran into a creature stranger and more dangerous than the irritable bear who ate Uncle Clem. That function, imagination, is one of humanity's greatest evolutionary advantages, and I assure you, it has saved lives. Can it save mine? No. 
Why the hell not? Because that, again, was the primary weapon of the Karbat. It was just outside the human capacity to conceive of it, and therefore outside of humanity's capacity to concoct a countermeasure. Further, as something that didn't exist, it was also impossible to observe, and so it remained not only outside the realm of the hypothetical, but also outside the realm of the possible to learn about. Never in your life before this point did you ever, or would you ever, be within beer range of some guy with hideous facial scars like the ones this carbat just gave you right now, who could say, Oh, these? Well, therein lies a tale, and therefore provide you with the chief advantage of every horror-story idiot who ever wandered into a forbidden place in search of a fabled monster. To wit, advance word. Okay, I think I get what you're saying, but I'm being attacked by the carbat now. Yes. If I survive, you won't. But if I did, you won't. But if I did, just for the sake of argument, wouldn't that blow the whole deal? If I somehow managed to stab it in the right internal organ and stumble back to civilization and tell the world about what I just endured, wouldn't that blow the one thing the Carbat has going for itself? I see where you're going with this. You're picturing an angry mob with torches and pitchforks, hunting the beast down and finally cornering it in a trap it cannot escape. This has been known to happen to other predatory menaces. But again, the Carbat only exists while it's mauling you. If you somehow pulled off a miracle and threw it off, it would cease to exist, would cease to be even hypothetical, and would not be anywhere on your plane to be found. Even if you staggered back to some candlelit tavern and told everybody about the unimaginable creature whose assault you'd just improbably survived, and even if you related your story so persuasively that everybody followed you back here and found the signs of a titanic struggle, and even if nobody posited that you might have misidentified some more mundane creature like a mountain lion, and even if the story stuck and the carbat became the legend that mothers warned their children about forevermore, it would be the last anybody would ever see of the carbat but not the last of the problem, because all you will have accomplished is move the boundaries of the human imagination farther away from their current positions, and therefore create a perfect habitat for whatever being comes after the carbat. Something just a little stranger than the carbat, which could itself lurk in non-existence and attack some other poor bastard whose world had never conceived it. A Carbat plus one, if you will. Or rather, since it will look and act nothing like a Carbat or anything else anybody has ever seen or imagined, some other made-up word, a Griscarg or something like that. What would that be like? I don't know and you're too busy being eaten by the Carbat to worry about such possibilities. It seems to be lingering over my leg. Tell me anyway. By its very nature, it's nothing you could describe or comprehend. Any creature who replaced the Carbat 
and someday one will replace the Carbat, will be some other poor bastard's problem. Okay, so what if the Carbat kills me, as now appears increasingly likely? If it only exists while it's mauling me, what happens afterward? Does it shamble closer to town and start eating other people? No, it doesn't. Again, the chief evolutionary advantage of the Carbat is that it does not exist. Once it has manifested in its assault on you, it has created proof that it exists and has therefore doomed itself to a painful end. Like the bee that dies from its sting, the Carbat perishes the first time it strikes. At the moment there is nothing left of your mortal form. The Carbat is poisoned by the agony of corporeality and itself vanishes as it must. It does not return to its point of origin because that is no place at all and cannot be accessed. It instead goes nowhere. A subtle distinction that could fill many quaint and curious volumes of forgotten lore and was indeed what the narrator Edgar Allan Poe's classic poem The Raven was trying to puzzle out before being harassed by that talkative bird. Never mind him. It's more than I have time to go into, and more than you have time to hear. Suffice it to say that you are the only prey the Carbat will ever know. It's an honor, really, like meeting a celebrity. And then, at some point in the future, some other lone traveler will be happening along some other isolated place and meet whatever incomprehensible, unimaginable monster comes after it. So this is... what are you telling me? some part of the natural cycle of life? See? It's not so hard to understand. This has been happening all along. You can't feel all that persecuted. You're just the latest schmuck this happens to. It does hurt, though. Yes, I imagine it would. It doesn't look fun at all. That's no consolation. I know. I can honestly hardly imagine. <laughs> Welcome back. You have been listening to Stefan Rutnicki narrating Answering the Questions You Might Have About the Carbat by Adam Troy Castro. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2021 by Lightspeed Magazine. Our sponsor this month is The Dystopia Triptych, a series of three original anthologies that explores three different phases of dystopia, before the dystopia, during the dystopia, and after the dystopia. Edited by John Joseph Adams, Hugh Howey, and Christy Yant. Available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook. To learn more, visit johnjosephadams.com slash dystopia. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. 
They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack and Cade. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.